Hi everyone, my name is Johnny McCormick and you're listening to Spoke. As you know, we're kicking off season two with two episodes, so I'm delighted to bring you this conversation with Daniel Giacopelli. Daniel is the editor of Courier magazine, which covers stories of modern business. It started life as a free newspaper, found primarily in hipster Shoreditch cafes, but it has since grown into an enormously popular magazine that can be found on newsstands almost anywhere. Daniel was previously a podcast host and producer for Monocle, running the very popular Entrepreneurs podcast. In this conversation, Daniel tells us all about Courier Magazine, what it was previously, what it is currently, and what he hopes it could become in the future. He also talks about the state of today's media landscape. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Daniel Giacopelli. Daniel, thanks so much for taking the time to appear on the show today. It's a real privilege to have you on as a guest. No, it's a pleasure to be on. Thanks so much, Johnny. Great. So, Daniel, I have done a little bit of an intro already, um, just from what I know about you, but I always like to give my guests the opportunity to introduce themselves. Sometimes it um, surfaces something that maybe, maybe I wasn't aware of and our audience wasn't aware of. So how do you normally introduce yourself to people, Daniel? I'm the editor of Courier Magazine. Um, I'm a New Yorker living in London. Uh, what else? I'm a pretty good guy, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a journalist. Uh, that's that's a, yeah. That's probably that probably covers all the bases. Great. So, Daniel, I originally started following you on Twitter. Um, as a result of a podcast that you hosted for Monocle, um, which most people might know as a magazine, but also has, you know, radio station, several podcasts. And you hosted the Entrepreneurs for um, a long time, which sort of did um, both brief insights and then slightly more in-depth interviews with founders, which I thought was excellent. But I'm aware that some people might not be aware of the Monocle um, and your work there. So can you give a little bit of an intro into what the Monocle is before we chat more about your current publication? Yeah, sure. Um, well, Monocle is a, it's a media brand. Um, it's a global media brand with a, a magazine, uh, a 24-hour radio station, uh, shops, cafes, retail operations, um, films. So it's kind of a, you know, a chunky uh, media organization that's been around for about, I don't know, 10 years or so. Um, and they, they write about, they cover, you know, uh, business, current affairs, kind of a, an intelligent discussion on kind of current affairs. Uh, that's what Monocle did. And I back then when I was at Monocle, I ran the... Um, as you said, the Entrepreneur Show, which was a uh, a weekly podcast all about um, just really cool people doing interesting things in the world of business, and I hosted and and uh, produced that show for five six years, six years, yeah. And what Daniel made you move on from um, the Monocle, which I think if people are familiar with it, will know that it's got you know an incredible reach, an incredible brand. Like you say, it's not just a magazine; it's sort of this entire media slash lifestyle company with cafes, shops, bureaus all over the world. What made you move on from the Monocle to go and work at Courier? And it might be good just to say a little bit about what Courier is and what you guys are trying to achieve as well at this stage. 
Yeah, sure. Well, I, I mean, I basically just moved on for you know personal reasons. I was there for six years or so, uh, six and a half years, and you know I, I'm still relatively young, um, and I just uh, wanted to try something new. Um, I don't think you should be in one place for too long. I had a really good good stint there at Monocle, and I learned a lot, um, and I met some amazing people, interviewed some absolutely fantastic, amazing people throughout my my career there, and um, yeah, it was just time to move on, basically. So. Uh, I'd always known about Courier magazine, and for those who don't know, Courier is a, it was a free kind of broadsheet style newspaper slash magazine that you pick up in kind of cool hipster cafes around London. And originally it was only in London, and um, you know there'd be stacks of them in kind of your local cafe in Shoreditch or whatever, and it it would be focused all on really interesting business stories, startup stories. And, um, they launched in 2013 or so, I think. And it came out a couple times a year, four times a year. It was quarterly whenever they kind of, whenever they, uh, finished an issue, they, they'd put it out, but it was, it was quarterly more or less. And I kind of fell in love with it. I, I read it all the time when I was in cafes, I took it with me. Um, and when I was looking for something new to do, I kind of realized that, you know, Courier was there and I, I checked out if they were, um, kind of hiring for any position and, and I jumped on as deputy editor. And, um, and ever since then it's been a whirlwind. I mean, we rebranded, we changed the whole business model. We are a bi-monthly magazine now. We're glossy. We're 130 pages. We're in 26 countries. So it's been a kind of a rapid change, uh, in the way courier works. And obviously in, in my role at a media company, I'm now editor. So can you say a little bit more about that change in business model, Daniel, because I, yeah, I was quite surprised to hear that story whenever I initially heard it. So it's obviously gone from, like you say, this quarterly broadsheet newspaper-esque type thing that would be found in the, the hipster coffee bars around Shoreditch and in London, which would seem to me to have quite a narrow reach. It may have had a dedicated audience, but quite a narrow reach to now being um, this bi-monthly magazine that can be picked up in, well, I can't remember how many countries you said, but it's turned into this sort of global global magazine that can be found in um you know good news agents coffee shops around around the world what did that transition look like because it's only over the course of sort of five or six years since courier launched so to go through such a dramatic change in that time seems quite aggressive in some in some aspects Mm. yeah uh well free is a difficult model so yeah you know we have a an agency at courier that does um you know, strategic strategy, strategy work, um, branding for big businesses. You know, we can make a magazine for you. We can make a podcast for you. We can make, uh, you know, any, any sort of content. So, uh, for a long time, that side of the business paid the bills and kind of supported this, this cool magazine, which had ads, print ads in it, but you know, those weren't really paying the, you know, keeping the lights on in, in any sense. Um, and, I mean, just if you look around in the free environment, um, it's not really a very sustainable business model. I mean, sure, you have time out, but then again, look at shortlist. I mean, they're going under. Um, you have It's just a tough environment to be in. It's free. And also, from a kind of philosophical standpoint, you know, we think what we're offering is really valuable and we don't want to give it away free. And, um, you know, a lot of media companies these days are pivoting away from free and they're locking everything behind a paywall. Um, 
I mean, Conde Nash just announced a couple of days ago that they were probably going to put all of their magazines behind a paywall now. So anyway, you know, the, the tide is kind of changing away from free. Um, and we decided, look, we want to be on the newsstand. We want to be next to, um, you know, we want to be next to The Economist. We want to be next to uh, Wired. We want to be next to all of these kind of great magazines out there in the world. So that began a big, big kind of process of, right, well, how are we going to do that? What does that look like? How does the magazine change as a result? And um, that's what led us down the path of saying, um, we're going to be five pounds. Uh, we're going to rebrand the entire magazine so it's not this big, um, tall newspaper style thing. It's going to actually be much smaller in size, but thicker, um, kind of journally. And we ripped up the whole magazine, and put it back together again. We, uh, we rebranded the whole thing. But for, at the start, the idea was we don't want to be free anymore. We want people to pay for it and we're going to make the content even better as a result. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Do you think, um, Daniel, that there's still a place for those sort of traditional print media, um, yeah, print media magazines, I suppose. So you have mentioned the likes of Wired, The Economist, those those magazines that you would see yourselves sitting alongside. Do you think that that's a crowded space in somewhat, or why did you choose for Courier to sort of align with those, and what do you think differentiates you a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we look at the business media landscape, and we don't think there's anybody doing what we're doing. So, you know, while I appreciate The Economist, and I read The Economist, and I like Wired, and I read Wired, and I like Fast Company and I read Fast Company, um, we're doing something quite different. And um, we, you know, our kind of internal slogan at Courier is we're building a media brand for people who want to live and work on their own terms. Mm. And that's kind of our internal drumbeat. That's what kind of guides everything that we do. It's not, we're not really a business magazine, to be honest. And we're not a startup magazine. We, you know, right on our masthead, it says, you know, stories of modern business. Um, that's kind of, closer to what we're going for, but it, it really is this thing living and working on your own terms. So the magazine has a lot of lifestyle things. It has a lot of kind of learnings and tips for you to be better at certain things. Um, if that is starting a new business, then yeah, we're, we're the right media brand for you. If that's doing a side hustle, then we'll teach you how to do that as well. Um, so I see a lot of these other magazines and it's either, you know, Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs on the cover of like, every other one. Um, and it's just the same kind of, um, you know, same rhythm of the big guys, the big tech guys. We're not like that at all. I mean, we'll put a, a small maker on the cover. We'll put a cool jewelry company owner on the cover. We'll put a, the owner of a newsstand, um, on a cover if they're doing something interesting. It's all about just fascinating businesses around the world and for you to learn about them from a very, very, very practical standpoint. Um, not the, not necessarily inspirational, but like, right. I want to start a cafe. I'm going to read Courier to learn what the, you know, um, how to keep the lights on, what the, you know, margin on a flat white is, for instance, real practical stuff. I think I know the the segment or the piece that you're talking about when you talk about that starting a cafe and the margin on the flat white. And that was the first piece that came to mind for me whenever you started talking was that sort of extended piece you did on the economics of coffee shops. Um, if, if you like. And I think for me, the thing that differentiates Courier from, um, say, an economist or a wired is it feels like it gives you just enough to see behind the scenes of businesses that you might interact with day in, day out, that you just don't really know what goes on behind the scenes. So it's sort of, it feels like a little bit of an intimate fireside chat coupled with a real 
I don't want to say expose. That might be that might be too strong a word, but just um, yeah, seeing enough behind the scenes to satiate your curiosity. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, it's um, yeah, we want to teach you about what other cool business or businesses are doing. Excuse me, and kind of you know show you what you can learn from them. We're all about learning and coming away with you know a, a notebook full of scribbles and notes and tips uh, when you read Courier. We want you to really take away a lot of things from it, and that's why. We pack the pages so dense. There's really not a lot of fluff. Mm. And what was the, can you say anything about what the conversations were like, Daniel, whenever you were deciding to change the business model and go hard on this sort of bi-monthly magazine? Was there any conversation at that time around the traditional media format compared to new media? Like I know you guys have um, toyed with podcasts and done some stuff in that space as, as well at Courier. Um, but can you say a little bit about your sort of your approach or your philosophy to the traditional versus new media? Jeff Taylor is the founder and editor-in-chief of Courier. Um, he had this vision by the time I got there, really, to change the company in this way because, you know, it was free for five years or, you know, around five years. And um, it was just time to shake things up and, and start a new direction. Um, the question now is we're still very much in the infancy of, you know, building the business now and what we want to be. I mean, we're still very small as a team. Um, we have roughly 10 people in the company. Um so we have a long way to go. Um, we could get there rather quickly, to be honest, if we if we put our minds to it. But we do have a long way to go in growing this company to be where we really think it can be. And we really do think that this is a very lucrative place, um, not just money-wise, but in terms of just like there's a big audience out there who are hungry for this kind of stuff. So the question now is how do we bring those kind of stories to people around the world? And you, know, you mentioned podcasts. Yeah, I mean, you know, for my history as you know, podcast producer, I definitely want to do podcasts. Um, no doubt about that. Um, then again, everybody and their mother has a podcast these days. So how do you distinguish it from the others? You know what I mean? Um, there's so many podcasts out there. So I, you know, it'll take a long time, or at least it'll take a lot of deep thinking of the podcast we want to build and how it, how we distinguish it from our, you know, our competitors. Um, and I have a few ideas, but. That's definitely a project we want to do. Um, you know, next year we really, really, really want to take Courier into a more of a kind of a membership proposition. Um, so, you know, we haven't really talked publicly about this to be honest that much, but you know, we don't really want to be a a monthly magazine in which you pay you know thirty, thirty five quid a, a year. We want to be a a membership organization where you pay X amount of money per month, and we just pack out that membership with as much value as possible for you as the as the consumer of the content as the reader um so along with that's going to be a lot of interesting things that you know uh stay tuned and you'll you'll see hopefully in 2019 yeah, that's, that's great i mean as a subscriber to the current magazine that sounds really exciting so i'm interested to see um what you guys do do with that can you say anything daniel um so I know you, you, you've already said that you were looking across the sort of the media landscape. You didn't think there was anyone doing exactly what Courier is doing right now. Can you name any other traditional sort of print media, magazines, newspapers that are really, really doing things really well? Like who are the people that you guys in the Courier office, the 10 of you that are there, are chatting about going, did you see what X did this month? It's really incredible. Very good question. Um, well... 
purely from a design standpoint, to be honest. I mean, I'm obsessed with Popeye magazine um, from Japan, even though I can't read the damn thing. I mean, we get a lot of in, we get a lot of inspiration from just the complete design risks they take, and um, and it's just so wacky and awesome um, the way they present their stories. You know, they, you know, and. It's, you know, the way they do their stories is probably designed first and then they write the words later. It's the only way they could have possibly done it because it's just so uh, packed out and zany, all those pages. So from a print perspective, you know, we have like 50 million copies of various Japanese magazines in the office. Um, I'm a fan of Port magazine. I mean, I love Port. Um, I think they tell the stories really well. It's very different from what we do. I mean, their their pages tend to be very kind of like sparse and uh, minimalist, but I think it's a beautiful magazine. Um, on the digital side, I should also say, you know, magazines that we get inspiration from are guys like Lucky Peach, which no longer exists. They, um, they folded, uh, a year ago or so, a couple years ago. Um, also just really good way of telling food stories, uh, what they did. And, you know, they certainly inspired me and kind of in their risk taking, um, for digital. I mean, um, I'm a fan of business of fashion. I read business of fashion quite often. Um, I think the way that they kind of take a vertical, i.e. fashion and kind of tell those stories is really in, in, inspirational and awesome. Um, and yeah, there's a bunch of others as well, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm insular, but I am so focused on building courier that it's kind of, I don't even get a chance to, uh, read or check other <laughs> websites out as much as I used to. Not that much free time anymore, but there are, I mean, you know, I'm a huge magazine nerd. I mean, I love, I love magazines. I collect magazines. Um, but on, on the digital front, yeah, there's definitely some that we're, we've been keeping our eye on. One thing that I've observed and it's maybe since, um, so I, I'm from Northern Ireland originally and moved back there about two years ago after, um, several years of living in Bristol in England. And one of the things that I immediately noticed on moving back to Belfast was the uprising or the surge in sort of really hyper-local publications. Um, So Northern Ireland specific or even sometimes specific communities within Northern Ireland um, having their own publications. You know, one that comes to mind for me is Turf and Grain, which is sort of an Ireland-based magazine and they focus on makers across the island of Ireland and really focus on, um, you know, high-quality print. Do you think that there's a place for making a business model that's focused on that hyper-local aspect sustainable? Uh. That is, if I knew the answer to that, I'd be rich because um, <laughs> nobody really knows how to make local journalism work. Um, I mean, it's really sad. You look at like in New York, you know, New York Daily News, uh, Village Voice, um, you know, there's layoffs everywhere for local news. And it's, it's a crisis because once local news fails, everything's screwed because um, nobody really knows what's going on in the community. Nobody's sitting in the courthouse knowing what cases are going through nobody's kind of keeping a check on all this stuff that just used to be a given, you know, reporters would just cover stuff like this locally. And, but now the whole business model is kind of breaking apart. And, um, so I don't, I really don't know how to make local news work. I mean, I know which ones, you know, are kind of awesome and inspirational. I mean, there's like a magazine in the U S called the California Sunday magazine. Um, really, really, really amazing magazine. We're obsessed with it at Courier. Um, it just, they tell their stories in incredible ways. The photos are amazing. Every cover is just awesome. Um, so I, I suggest you guys, yeah, you should definitely check out California Sunday. 
um, that's just a local, it's a local magazine, um, in California. Um, just great long form stories, but I don't know if it's profitable. I mean, it's a bi-monthly thing. Um, you know, uh, there's, I'm trying to think of some other interesting ones. Nobody's really cracked it. Nobody's cracked the digital local news. I mean, they used to be like patch, um, which I think AOL ran, I think patch and that just didn't really work. It would be like hyper local news. Um, but yeah, it's a conundrum. Nobody knows how to do it. Do you think part of this is, um, instigated by the fact that we're now just used to getting information for free online and people are therefore only willing to pay for something that is really specific or really, really niche? Yeah, totally. I mean, nobody really understands the costs that go into journalism at all. Um, and it's, to be honest, it's partly the the media company's faults because they made things free for so long that you just expect it to be some sort of like, you know, uh, um, just like Wikipedia. I mean, you know, uh, that's another thing that people kind of take for, for granted. I mean, you know, somebody has to keep the lights on and keep the servers on for Wikipedia. It's the same thing with, you know, uh, Guardian or, you know, the, uh, the New York Times website. Um, journalism is really expensive. I mean, I think, you know, there was that... Uh, story that the wall street journal broke last year about the, um, that blood testing startup in Silicon Valley that ended up being fraudulent, um, blockbuster journalism. I think I read somewhere, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that the wall street journal spent like a million dollars, um, on reporting that single thread of stories over the, you know, many, many, many months or years or whatever it took that one journalist to, to, to break all the scoops, but a million dollars, I think. And, and you know, what's the, what does the Wall Street Journal get from that? Well, they get prestige, they get maybe some more readers, um, but you know, journalism is expensive. So if you were to look into your crystal ball, Daniel, and make some predictions about five, 10, 20 years out, what do you think that landscape looks like or how, how might that issue be solved? You know, I'm not, obviously I'm not asking you to solve the issue live on the podcast, because like you say, you'd be a rich man if you could do that. But what are your sort of your longer term predictions for how, um, you know, paid for high quality journalism comes back into the zeitgeist of, you know, just normal people's lives again? Um, I think, I think magazines will always exist. So magazines will never vanish, but what will vanish are generalist magazines like, you know, your, your run of the mill men's magazine, um, your run of the mill kind of fitness, uh, magazine, just stuff that you'll just so easily get online. Um, those will go cause nobody will really go to the newsstand and pick up kind of a, a magazine of stuff that, you know, was interesting a week ago. Um, and just, you know, there's no, that just won't exist. What will exist, I think are very niche magazines where, you know, the print aspect, you know, the tactile print aspect is so, uh, important and the content itself is so niche that you just, you'd want it. Um, you know, like a farmer's weekly magazine or something like that, for instance, in, purely in terms of like a vertical that'll probably exist. Cause it's like a B2B play or like, zines really really carefully put together zines with amazing paper and 50 paper stocks those will exist but you know guys like you know gq for instance or you know things like that i just i struggle to see how just purely in magazine form printing magazine form um those will exist so you know 
a courier, we're not print fetishists, I should say, you know, um, some magazines are print fetishists. We just thought print was the best way to get that content in people's hands to begin with. But we're just as easily to go, you know, into digital once we, once we, um, make some, you know, decisions and, and really kind of double down on it. Um, social media, you know, um, online, Instagram podcasts, short films, those are just in my mind, equally valid ways of telling our story than, you know, 130 pages of paper printed and bound and sold, you know, in your average newsstand as much as I do love magazines. Uh, and again, magazines will never go away, but you know, there will definitely, definitely, definitely be less of them in the future just because the economics don't work out. It's damn expensive to get those magazines out there. Yeah. I often wonder, I mean, I've followed some publications over the years, whether they're, you know, physical print magazines, newspapers, or online. And after a few years of following them, um, one of the sort of the larger media companies comes in, acquires them, and their niche that they occupied before is suddenly um, sort of swallowed up into this giant conglomerate. And people who have moved from being, you know, the editor or one of the main, you know, senior writer, senior content producer for that publication is now working alongside thousands and thousands of other people just like them and their their content is swallowed up. Do you think that um, sort of the the larger players in the the media world are going to continue acquiring in the hopes that they hit a couple of really big acquisitions and, 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 you know, make, make big, big money from it. Or do you think that they're going to, um, that some of the smaller players at the moment are going to continue really trying to push their niches and then I guess make it big for themselves. That's one thing that, that I've often wondered about is, you know, why did such and such sell their publication to X and, uh, and lose their sort of their biggest, their biggest selling point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, very good question. Uh, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, I, I, I think that big media companies probably won't be buying small media companies that much anymore just cause the entire industry is a, you know, proverbial kind of shit show. As it were. I mean, you know, you're not going to have many, you know, guys like Condé Nast, you know, are they going to be buying small magazines? I mean, I highly doubt it. I mean, they're closing magazines. Um, unless those magazines bring something really, really, really valuable. I think the, the more likely scenario are non-media companies buying media companies. Um, you know, big, big startup giants might be interested in buying media companies, um, or very, very rich people, you know, look at, uh, what happened to, um, is it uh, Fortune? I think um, Fortune or Forbes, <laughs> one of the two, was just sold to a, a Thai billionaire for God knows how much money. Um, because quite often, a lot of these guys, you know, they like having uh, a, a magazine to kind of not play with, but you know, they a lot of billionaires like buying magazines. You say for whatever reason, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think it's going to come from big media companies, though. I think it's going to be places you never even expected are going to start buying small media companies. Um, and that'll get really, really interesting to see who, you know, Airbnb, maybe, uh, Uber, uh, and it's not even buying magazines. It's a lot of these guys are starting their own magazines too, which is completely changing the media landscape. We always like to take a bit of a shift in the podcast at this stage and focus a little bit more on 
you personally, if that's okay. So just, um, you know, it's not going to be an absolute barrage of questions, but just a few questions, just so that our listeners can hear a little bit more about who you are. Is that cool? Go for it. Great. So one of the questions I always like to ask um, my guests is, who are some of the people that have had the biggest impact on your life, Daniel? And why do you think that was, or what did that impact look like? Ooh, very good question. Um, well, I'm quite a contrarian. Um, so somebody who kind of inspired my, uh, my stubbornness was probably Christopher Hitchens, I have to say. <laughs> probably not an obvious first person to go to, but, um, you know, I think the world's missing public intellectuals and kind of we're living in a time of anti expertise and, you know, the, the decline of, of expertise. So I think the world needs more smart people out there saying what they believe and being a bit contrarian. Um, so he's someone I've always looked up to. Um, uh, you know, God, in my own personal life, not to get too cheesy here, but I guess, you know, my, my father and grandfather, um, definitely inspired me. I mean, both hyper intelligent guys who have built their own kind of way in this world. Um, and beyond that, there's just, you know, six years of doing the entrepreneurs, uh, I've met some pretty damn awesome people doing some pretty damn risky, awesome things and inspirational people, you know, really going out on a limb to like build something they believe in. You know, a lot of people really, you know, fetishize entrepreneurs and, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to say like entrepreneurs are in any way better people than any other people. I mean, they're just people who are doing what they love, but some of these guys and girls, you know, men and women, um, are just, uh, doing some pretty incredible things. And, you know, I, you know, I sometimes go back and listen to some of the interviews I've done or just to, in my own research, just trying to, you know, and, and I just say, wow, how the hell did those people do what they did? You know, I don't even know if I'm risky enough to ever start a company on my own because it really takes a lot of, you know, willpower and, 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 uh, and balls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, um, Daniel was your first job, if, if you don't mind sharing that and what did you learn doing that? So I always like to ask people this question because it maybe, you know, it invokes some nostalgia for them and you hear about their first paper round or <laughs> that they worked as a, you know, a milkman's assistant or a bartender, whatever, whatever that was. And some people have some really odd lessons that they've taken from their first job. So if you don't mind sharing, what was your first job and what did you learn doing that? Uh, I guess my first, I don't have any like, milkmen or paper route stories but i did fold clothes in a in a retail store which will not be named in a mall in suburban long island new york where i'm from and um it's it was in a very wealthy community um so every night they would you know close the store and they'd have very very rich women basically come in and do personal shopping and buy many, 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 many thousands of pounds worth of things. And, you know, I was in the stock room kind of folding stuff and stocking things. And what did I learn? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I actually walked away with any lessons rather than just kind of like retail sucks. <laughs> I never want to work in retail <laughs> again. Um, folding clothes is extremely boring and I never really want to do that again, but Hey, I did it for I think two summers. I did that. Um, 
and people have a lot of money. I also learned that. I was chatting with a guy, you know, it's really interesting that your sort of your lesson coming away from that was this is not what I want to do. Um yeah. I was chatting with a, a chap yesterday and his first job was in a fish processing factory. So he was sort of responsible for scaling, gutting fish. And he was like, I literally worked in that job for like two days before I came to the realization that this is what's going to make me really concentrate <laughs> hard and get good grades in school because I do not exactly. want to be doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's inspiration to do exactly the opposite. I mean, I also, I had an internship um, not too long after that when I was working at a very, very powerful kind of think tank in New York City doing essentially like finance. I was like working in the back, like um, kind of filing Excel sheets and stuff, but they their donors were really like influential celebrities and powerful people. And I was like, I was this kid and I was like looking at like, Ooh, that's Angelina Jolie's, um, mobile number. That's like, you know, the prime minister of X's like bank account. I'm just like, I should not have access to this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking like, this is really like, you know, I can do something with this. But I obviously didn't do anything bad with it, but yeah, I was just like, this is kind of, this is curious. Somebody should lock this stuff down. <laughs> what made you, Daniel, think that you want to get into journalism? Is that something that you've always known that you wanted to do? Uh, no, quite the contrary, actually. I, um, I kind of, for well, for most of my adult life, I mean, I'm, I'm 32 right now. I mean, for growing up in my kind of late teens and then college years, I, I was an international relations geek. I studied, you know, foreign policy theory and, you know, studied a bunch of languages and Kind of, um, I did. I moved over to London from New York to get my master's in uh, war studies from King's College London. So you know, I studied insurgencies and military tactics and blah blah blah. The psychology of terrorism. Thinking I was going to uh, probably work at either think tank or go back to uh, the states and join the the kind of the foreign service or something. Um, have a career in government, and then. I just, for some reason, I just loved living in Europe. Um, I saw the job opportunity at Monocle and I said, you know what, it's a magazine I always loved and why not just take a punt and kind of stay for a year or two and, and kind of live in, I, I, you know, as I called it Europe, then I later learned that Brits don't call, you know, the UK Europe. This is, <laughs> this is not the continent, but I'm like, yeah, I'll stay in Europe and I'll just kind of live for a year or two. And then I'll, then I'll always go back to the States, but just, you know, here I am, uh, eight, eight years later and I'm still working in journalism and I love it. Uh, but I never, I didn't go to journalism school. Um, I never studied how to be an editor at all. I just kind of, and I certainly didn't learn how to be a podcast producer, but I just learned on the, on the job and, um, and I just picked up those skills as I went along and now it's been, you know, I love every moment of it now. And it's just such a really, I'd rather be doing this, uh, traveling the world, interviewing awesome people than traveling the world, you know, working for Donald Trump. I actually didn't know you had that background. Um, so I initially did a master's in international relations, also in, in peacekeeping at the University of Birmingham. So I suppose I, I maybe thought that I was going to end up down that path as well. It's funny how life sort of just takes these twists and turns sometimes. And I suppose, Daniel, that probably brings us on to our final final sort of long form question for today um and that is what's one thing that you would say to a version of yourself from 10 years ago so it's essentially just a, another way of asking what do you wish you knew then that you know now um great question what should i have told my future advice to give myself um i would just say 
I mean, I, I honestly believe this. I would say, say yes to most things because uh, you never really know where it's going to take you. Um, you know, I, all the times when you say, oh, I don't really want to go out to that event or I don't really want to do this or do that because I'm tired. I'll just go home and watch Netflix and just kind of, you know, chill. Really, there's no harm in going out because you really never know. Not just going out like partying, but, you know, saying yes, going to that event going on that weekend, kind of going to this conference, meeting this person for drinks, going to a coffee, because uh, it really does lead to some awesome stuff. I mean, you know, the more people you know, the more ideas pop in your head, the more, you know, your future self will be more rounded and, you know, more connected and better prepared for the future. So I'm not, I'm kind of an introverted person and I, I tend, my natural instinct is to kind of just, you know, go home, read a nice book, um, hang out with a friend, go to the pub. But, you know, I went through a stage in life a few years ago where I'm like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to do as many possible things as I can, learn as many things as I can. And I have to say, I mean, it really has paid off. And I, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten a lot of things in my life because of that. So I, it's honest advice. And I really would suggest that. Yeah. That's superb. Thank you so much for that, Daniel. Um, before we wrap up for today, I always like to give my guests the opportunity just to say to our listeners where they can connect with you, find out more about you, or yeah, I suppose just this is your time to plug anything that you think is important to you or that you'd like our audience to know about. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, if you want to find out more about Courier, um, which I strongly suggest you do, um, definitely check out our our website, which actually we need to update a lot more, <laughs> but um, it's couriermedia.co. And um, if you follow us in the next year or so, you'll really see a quite dramatic uh, transformation in, in the company. And um, we're going to um, we're gonna kind of redo a lot of what we do digitally. But in the meantime, check out our, you know, our, our um, Instagram page and our website. So that's where to learn about Courier. And I should also say, if you do live in London, um, we're going to be launching a, and I, you know, I, I talked about free, how it doesn't really work anymore, but there is still a place for it. If you have another model that isn't free to pay for the free thing, but, um, we're going to be launching a free product in the next couple months, um, in a newspaper format that hopefully will be a product that we're always going to have every month, um, in London at least. And then we'll see about other places around the world. So keep on the lookout for that probably around April. And, um, and check out, uh, check out my Instagram or Twitter. If you want to follow my inane updates about the world around me and, uh, Brexit and Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Daniel, thank you so much for, um, being so generous with your time and coming on the show as a guest today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and getting those insights. Thanks, Johnny. Really appreciate it.